How is everybody? Good, good. Um, okay, we're going to do something special today. Um, after the sermon, we're going to have a special prayer line for all the Tennessee fans over here to my left. Uh, you're right. <laughs> I couldn't even get through that without smiling, so I'm sorry. I'm from Missouri. We're so awful at college football, we don't even pay attention to it up there. So uh, um, I shouldn't have said that, right? Everyone's like already turned off. You're just like, oh, last time we come to that church. So Okay, let's get to the Word. So we've been working through um, the Gospel of John. Gosh, we're in chapter 3 today, so this will be our fourth lesson. I think we broke up chapter 1 into a couple of parts, uh, went through all of chapter 2 last week. We're going to do half of chapter 3 today, and uh, we'll save the second half of chapter 3 for next week. The reason why I'm breaking that up is, in my opinion, the most important words ever written to mankind are in John chapter 3. I know it's used a lot, but John 3.16, and I want to make sure I hang on that a little bit more next week and kind of have the time to do that. So we're going to go through verses 1 through 15. If you've never been with us, this is, this is kind of what we do. Go through whole books of the Bible. We're going to be in John for, for quite a while. Uh, there's 20-something chapters in this, so we're going to be hanging out in it for a while. And uh, what we talked about last week, if you weren't here for chapter 2, that's a fun chapter of the Bible. This is where Jesus turns water to wine, so most people know this miracle. He also gets a little upset in the temple courtyard and makes a whip and starts whipping animals and running people out of the temple courtyard and spills over their money from the money changers, and that's a really, really fun um, uh, chapter. And what we talked about from chapter two was this idea, that God examines our hearts and minds, right? So God does this. He examines our hearts and minds all the time. He knows us. The question is, have we examined our hearts and minds? And if we've examined our hearts and minds, are we taking responsibility for our actions? Are we taking ownership of the choices we make, the thoughts we think, the things that we do? Are we doing that, okay? So this week, we're gonna talk about this. We're gonna talk about, basically, the part that we're gonna cover today is a conversation between a guy named Nicodemus and Jesus, and the conversation is going to all be about being born again. And so what is born again? If you were raised in church, you've probably heard born again. For people who weren't raised in church, you've probably heard people talk about born again believers or born again Christians. We're gonna talk about what does it mean to be born again. So we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to hopefully make it clear that we are incapable of being born again without the help of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we cannot be made new. We cannot be made something different than what we are without spiritual help, okay? So that's what we're going to focus on a little bit today. Um, I'm really, really glad you guys are here. I I probably don't tell you that enough, but I'm extremely honored to get to do what I do, and uh, I hope you guys know I don't ever take it for granted. I I love this, and... um, just glad you're here. And I pray that God opens up your ears. I pray that your eyes are open. I pray that you hear something or or something catches your attention today that you can kind of dig into and and grab hold of and it changes you. You're here, regardless if you know this or not, you're here because God wants you here right now. Every single person in this room, even if you didn't come here by your own choice, you're here because before the foundations of the world were ever created, God knew that you needed to be at this moment, at this time, right here doing this. And so open up your ears, open up your eyes. Let's see what God has to say to us today. Cool? Um, You should have got a notes handout. Um, If you don't have a notes handout, if you get the YouVersion app on your phone, click on the bottom right, and uh, all the notes and the scripture will be there, and I'm going to do my best to go over this, and and, uh, we'll see what happens. Okay? Cool. All right. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Lord, I just want to tell you thank you, God. Thank you for everyone in this room, Lord. Thank you for a church that is energetic. Thank you, God, for a church that has a good sense of humor. Thank you for a church, God, that is comfortable and relaxed. 
God, I pray, Lord, that you bless everyone in this room, Lord. Open up our ears so we can hear what your word has to say. Open up our eyes so we can see what you're doing around us, God. Lord, we pray for every other church in our city, God, the bigger ones, the smaller ones, everything in between, God. Pray that you bless them, Lord. Bless their leadership. Bless their congregations. And Lord, but God, help us not to make our churches or our pastors famous, Lord. We want to make you famous. We want everyone to know who you are, God, and what you're doing. We want your kingdom, God, to be advanced. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I'm going to read a little bit from chapter three. I'm going to do my best to explain it, and we'll see what happens. So there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night, Jesus, at night, and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can anyone be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? So, okay, so this guy that approaches Jesus, right? If you've never read the Gospels, if you've never heard anyone talk about Jesus's life on earth for those 33 years he was here, the bad guys of the Gospels are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Not all of them were bad, as we see right here. There were some of them that not only were intrigued by Jesus, they followed Jesus. Nicodemus is one. Another famous one is a guy named Joseph of Arimathea that gave Jesus his burial plot so he could be properly buried. There were some good ones in this bunch, okay? So Nicodemus approached Jesus at night, and some people believe he did that because he was afraid of what his colleagues would say, and I don't believe that to be the case. Most theologians who've researched it a lot believe that it's not that he was afraid to engage Jesus, but during the day, Jesus was so busy, right? Thousands and thousands of people crowding around him. There's so much commotion. You couldn't have like a deep, engaging conversation with Jesus during the day. So Nicodemus found him at night, probably late at night, and approached him. And they have this conversation that we're going to read and study about right here. Okay, so Nicodemus is a rich man, an educated man, a powerful man, extremely influential in his culture, in his, in his community, in his area. Okay, This is a man that understood respect. He understood honor. And we see that when Nicodemus, who would have been probably twice the age of Jesus, Jesus was a young man in his early 30s, and Nicodemus was probably in his 60s, when he approached him, he approached him with respect. We know that because Nicodemus says, rabbi, which you've never heard that term before. It simply means teacher. And so what Nicodemus did is he took the role of a learner. Now I made this in yellow because this applies to all of us, but look at what Nicodemus did. Approaching Jesus with humility and a willingness to learn led this man into the knowledge that obtained eternal life. If we approach Jesus with a willingness to learn and with humility, we will also receive the knowledge and the tools we need to obtain eternal life. But if we're not humble and if we're not willing to learn, we will not receive the knowledge that gives us eternal life. So what this, just to show you how humble Nicodemus was, I call him Nick a lot. Nick approached Jesus, a theologian, a respectable man, a decorated man, a very, very influential individual, approaches a carpenter. And we don't, 
when we think of carpenter, carpenters back then actually did, they were handymen. They could build houses, they did masonry work, they did all kinds of stuff, but it was kind of a blue collar, kind of middle class thing. So this very high class individual humbles himself to be kind of a learner under this middle class individual. And the reason why he came to Jesus is he had seen the miracles of Jesus. He had witnessed some things that Jesus had done. But what Jesus makes it clear to Nicodemus is this, just because you believe I'm sent by God, just because you've seen some miraculous things and you acknowledge that God is with me does not mean you're saved. We talked about this last week. Some very bad theology that a lot of churches have taught us is if we simply believe that Jesus is the son of God, that we're okay. That's the beginning of it. That's a step in the right direction. But it's not simply believing that Jesus is the son of God because the devils in hell believe he's the son of God too, and they're in hell. It is following Jesus that saves us. It is walking after him. It is being discipled by him. And so he makes it clear, or he's going to make clear, that only a relationship with God can save us. That's what saves us. So here's what's interesting about this conversation. Nicodemus walks up and he's kind of making small talk, right? Hey, Rabbi, we know that God's with you because you've done these things. And Jesus kind of cuts him off and Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus never asked. Essentially, Nicodemus walked up and Jesus knew his thoughts. He knew what was on his mind. And what was on Nicodemus's mind was essentially the question of, are you the one that's going to bring the kingdom? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Are you the one that the prophets told us about? Are you everything that we've been expecting? And so the question on his mind, are you here to bring the kingdom? And Jesus answers a question that wasn't even asked yet. And he says, unless someone is born again, you're never even gonna see the kingdom. So it doesn't matter if I'm the one that brings it or not. If you're not born again, if you're not changed, you're never gonna get to see it. So what Nicodemus, his problem was this, and guys, whenever I say this, I think people take it out of context. Nicodemus was religious. And what we learn in Nicodemus is that religion doesn't save us. It's a relationship with Jesus that saves us. Nicodemus knew how to dress in church. We're still working on that one here. He knew how to dress in church. He knew how to talk. He knew the right lingo. He knew all these things, but he didn't have a transformative, powerful relationship with his creator. And so we see a lot in churches today, people know that they need to go to church, they give to church, some of them even serve in church. They're called nominal Christians, but they've never experienced the transformative power of the Holy Spirit of God. And we have to have that experience. We have to have that deep love and relationship with God in order to truly have a relationship with him and, and to be saved. And so Jesus said, you must be born again. Now, what the heck does that mean? Jesus tells Nicodemus that although he was born into this world physically by his mother, that he must also be birthed spiritually as well. And so many people, if you study this, this phrase, born again, if you study it out a lot, it gives the illusion to where if you were to take a garment and rip it from top to bottom, or in other words, break down a barrier or kind of undo something from the center out, right? And so until God changes us, from the depth of our heart and starts to work outward from that until he does that in us, any talk of seeing the kingdom is useless. Any talk of the kingdom is pointless unless God has worked on us from the inside out and we are born again. And unless we're born again, we never see the kingdom of God. So again, the question arises, what in the heck is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is one of the most talked about things 
in Jesus' parables. He often says, the kingdom of God is like, or like the kingdom of God, this will happen. And this story about this relates to the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? It actually means a couple of different things, and you can kind of interchange them all throughout the Gospels. The first thing that the, the kingdom of God represents is God's sovereignty over the entire universe. Um, guys, in the next couple of weeks, when we go through this election thing and we're all you know, thinking that the world's going to explode upon itself and all these things, remember that God steps back, and God's not only sovereign over the United States, God's sovereign over planet Earth, our solar system, and every square inch of the galaxy and the universe that he created. Amen? God is sovereign. He steps back and he's got control over it all. The creator owns the creation. That's what he does. Secondly, the kingdom of God is God's reign over our hearts. All of us who's given our life to Christ, who's given our life to God, he, the kingdom of God, we are now a part of that. We're connected to him. Thirdly, the kingdom of God can be a literal place. If you go back to the end of Revelation, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set up a thousand-year kingdom on this earth before this earth and the, and, the, and the heavens are washed away, and then we get a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to set up a thousand-year kingdom here, a literal kingdom. Fourthly, the kingdom of God refers to our eternity, that after that thousand-year reign, we will be, uh, uh, there will be kind of a final judgment, and we will go to our final place, and we will live with him in the kingdom of God forever. So that's the kingdom of God. But let's get back to how we get to the kingdom of God, okay? Nicodemus' second question he does ask. It does come out of his mouth. And it is this. So you're telling me I have to be born again. How can anyone be born when they're old? Now, he could be literal, right? He's thinking literally. He's listening to Jesus, and he goes... So you're telling me I have to go back inside my mother and come back out? That's not possible, right? Literally, that's not possible. Some people believe he's being figurative, which means you're asking me to be born again, but I'm, I'm old. How can I change? You know, I'm already in this season in my life. How can an old man, how can, how can you teach an old dog new tricks is essentially what he was saying. But either way you look at it, the problem with Nicodemus was this. He was stuck in the physical, he wasn't thinking about the supernatural. He was only thinking about the natural. So essentially what Nicodemus was doing, he was thinking, what can I do? What can I do within my power to transform myself spiritually? And that's the thing, is within ourselves, there's nothing we can do to make the spiritual transformation, the born-again process, happen in our lives. It's beyond us. We can't do it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 it says that we are born again, we are saved by grace through faith. And if it was anything we could do, we would be arrogant about it. But we can't do that. It's God's provision, not ours. The only work that we can do as followers of Jesus, the only work we can do that has anything to do with our salvation is we can take the step towards Jesus and accept him. That's it. It's the closest thing to a work that we can do to be saved. Now, here's the thing. A lot of groups of Christians, and there's kind of two extremes, right? One is that it's totally works-based, and the other one is you don't have to do any work. Now, there's a place in the middle that we're supposed to find. We're not saved by our works, but once we are saved by grace through faith, we are called to work. In fact, the Bible says, go do good works so people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we're called to do. So Josh always says when he teaches, we're not saved by our works, but we're also not saved from our works. That once we've experienced grace, we should respond to that by wanting to advance the kingdom of God around us. So 
There is faith in works, but we are not saved by our works. We are saved into works. Okay? Next part. You guys still with me? You're awfully quiet today. Okay, all right. Just making sure you guys are still there. That, that Tennessee comment at the beginning just killed this. I'm sorry. So Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Now he switches gears. Watch this. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay, so verse 3 answers the question of where does the new birth come from, the being born again. Verse five answers how does that happen, by what process. And the process that Jesus says is it's by water and by spirit. Now that brings up a lot of debate. What, the, what does the water mean? Okay, we kind of get the spiritual part, but what does the water part mean? Now there's actually a couple of different interpretations and people argue about this and they fight about this and the Bible is not exceptionally clear on what the definitive answer is. Some people believe, believe that the water is baptism. So when a Christian gets baptized, that's when salvation happens. Some people believe this is actually talking about when a woman's water breaks and she gives birth, physical birth, that that's what the water is talking about. Some people believe that the water is a metaphor or uh, an analogy for the word of God. And some people believe it's symbolic for repentance. Now, sometimes when we study the Bible, guys, and I love studying the Bible. I believe as Christians, we need to study the Bible. Sometimes though, we'll get so laser focused in on what one word means that we sometimes miss the greater picture of the whole thing. The greater picture isn't what does exactly, he does, does Christ mean by water right there? The greater picture is he wants to paint that this rebirth, this, this uh, uh, spiritual birth that takes place in men and women, that this is a miraculous, beautiful thing when God remakes the individual. Just like a child is born, and that's beautiful, when we are birthed spiritually, it is miraculous and beautiful. And so he goes on to say this. These are very important points. Jesus says, what is flesh is flesh. What is flesh is flesh. In Genesis, if you go in the Bible, the word flesh in the Old Testament was not derogatory. It uh, kind of meant your entire being, right? Your mind, your body, your soul. It was your flesh. That's, that was you. As you get into the New Testament, the word flesh kind of takes on a derogatory meaning. What it means is like in Romans 8 and 9, when Paul says people who don't believe in Jesus are in the flesh. What Paul means by that is that people that don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in anything beyond us, they are in the flesh, which means they're only focused on the temporary. You can replace the word flesh with temporary because everything that is on earth, everything that is flesh and bone will pass away, Jesus says, or the Bible says. It will pass away, it will come to an end. And so people who are in the flesh that don't believe in Christ are believing in the temporal, what's here and now. And what is here and now will one day come to an end. If you look at governments, if you look at empires, if you look at economic systems, nothing has lasted forever. Everything comes to an end. So will the last great empire when Christ comes back, everything will come to an end. Those things will pass away. And Jesus says, you shouldn't be shocked by this. He looks at Nicodemus and he says, you shouldn't be surprised that I'm telling you that the things that are temporary are going to be temporary. He says, you're, a, you're not only a student of the Old Testament, Nicodemus, 
You're a teacher of the Old Testament. You're one of the leaders. And in the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was active, but it was active in a different way. It wasn't active on a personal level in the Old Testament. But all these prophets in the Old Testament uh, prophesied and foreshadowed and talked about times when God would pour out his spirit on all people, Joel chapter two, would pour out his spirit on all people and the Holy Spirit of God would now become a personal thing. It would be for us to have personal uh, uh, regeneration and we could be personally changed. So like the opposite of flesh that breeds more flesh or temporary that breeds more temporary, when we are born again, we have spirit that breeds more spirit. We have something eternal that breeds more eternity. So the exact opposite of the temporary flesh is the eternal spirit. And if we follow Christ, we have a hope of something more than this world. I don't know if you guys have friends. I have a lot of friends who, who are atheists or agnostics, right? And when we get into conversations, and we're always very civil and things, but they kind of think I'm crazy, right? I have a really, really good friend named Greg that thinks, I mean, he calls us my book of fairy tales, right? He likes to pick at me. And he's an older guy, he's an economics professor, extremely intelligent man, but he, he likes to dig at me sometimes. Okay, fun story, real quick. And this is the one that's recorded, so I'm gonna go ahead and I shouldn't tell the story. So I have a big flame tattooed on my leg, right? And uh, Greg is a very, uh, he's, a, he's a gay man and he's not just a gay man, he's like a very boisterous gay man, right? And so I'm in Starbucks one day and I'm wearing shorts and I hear some guy behind me just go, hey, flamer. And I was sitting there and I was like, I turned around and I was like, shut up, man. You know, like, like we're really good friends, but uh, I shouldn't have told that story. How did I get there? <laughs> Anyways, I have friends that are not believers and they think it's crazy that I would think there is something beyond this. Well, I look back at them and I'm like, man, if this is all we get, I feel ripped off. I think there is something much greater. This is a time for me to invest. I love life, but there is hunger in the world. There is hatred in the world. There is uh, uh, slavery in the world. This is a broken, messed up world. And if this is the best we can do, I'm not satisfied with that. So my faith gives me something to hope for beyond that. Now, this is the most hippie, girly analogy I've ever come up with. But through following Jesus, <laughs> I'm even reluctant to say it, we don't just become improved caterpillars on earth, we become spiritual butterflies for eternity. I couldn't even get through that. You're welcome. That, that's like tattoo worthy, right? <laughs> Every single service, man, like I couldn't even get through it. The bottom line is this, we are transformed. Let me move on, guys, let's, get, let's move on. <laughs> It's what you get when you have two girls, right? And you watch Barbie movies all the time. So another big point that is, that, is, that is brought up that I think is something that we really need to focus on is this, is being born again is also a process. Listen, our spiritual birth is a lot like our physical birth. Any of you women who've given birth to any children, you know what I'm talking about. The act of giving birth is a long, uncomfortable, and often, I put sometimes, often painful process. But the result is amazing. Listen, our spiritual birth is the same way. It's not a zap moment where we're just instantly zapped and everything's okay. We give our life to Christ, we're saved. But this born again thing is this process that goes on. And we sometimes despise the process, but God knows what he's doing. He's maturing us, he's growing us, 
growing us. And at the right time, we will give birth to things that are amazing. And becoming a follower of Christ is, is much like the physical birth. And what this passage flies in the face of, this whole process idea, is right now, we want it right now. Give me five ways to fix my marriage before lunch. I'm busy, right? And we want quick fixes and we want instantaneous results. And God can do that. He can zap us. But God most often works through processes. You know why? Because we learn things in those processes. That's why when that woman eventually gives birth to this thing that looks like an alien, right? The first time it comes out, it's gross and slimy and disgusting, but you love it because for nine months you've been through this process. So this is why God uses this process for us. And so Jesus kind of switches gears and he starts talking about the wind, right? I love this slide. Jesus switches gears and he tells Nicodemus about the wind and his reference to the characteristics of the wind. He's trying to show Nicodemus the impact that the Holy Spirit has had through believers in society. He says, like the wind, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You can't put your finger on it. You feel it, but you can't see it. That's like the Holy Spirit in the believers in the world. Now, I get kind of riled up about this. Whenever people say, what good has Christianity done? Well, I'll tell you what good Christianity has done. Without Christianities, you wouldn't have hospitals. Well, what's the fact on that? The first hospital in North America was started by Cortez in Mexico City in the 16th century. It is called Jesus of Nazareth Hospital, run by Christians. Go back a little bit further to the Roman Empire, to the first organized hospitals. Yes, the Roman Empire built the buildings and paid for it. The government did, but it was completely staffed, organized, and ran by the Christians. Without the Christians, the Roman Empire would have never had hospitals. Orphanages were started by churches. The university was started by churches. Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Penn State, the University of Pennsylvania, all of the great institutes in the world. Go back, fact check me on this. Go back and look up the original mottos of all of the Ivy League schools in the world. All of them, I shouldn't say all, almost all are focused on Jesus or the most ambiguous was the University of Pennsylvania that I think Ben Franklin started. The, the motto was truth and light, which he got from the Bible. So the universities were started in churches. The universities, some of the greatest artwork that's ever been created. Johann Sebastian Bach, Beethoven, Rembrandt, Michelangelo, Leonardo, all believers of the word of God and all depicted that into their artwork. It was Johann Sebastian Bach that said, the end of all art should be the glorification of God. The greatest art that's ever been created. Even some of the most important scientific discoveries of all time were pioneered by Christians. Most recently, the Human Genome Project. Bill Clinton said the most important thing that we've discovered in the last hundred years. The Human Genome Project cracked by a Christian, which cracked the DNA code. He wrote a book on it called The Language of God. Important stuff. So here's my point in showing you all this. Whenever people say, what has the church done? Well, the Holy Spirit has worked through the church for the last two millennia, and because of that, it has completely changed everything about how we do things as humans. It's like the wind. You can't see it, but you can absolutely feel it. So here's the thing about Christians. How we talk, how we act, how we serve, how we love is a witness of an unseen reality. 
When you walk outside, when the wind hits you in the face, you can feel it. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going, but you know it's real because you feel it. It's unseen. And it's much the same with the Holy Spirit. So we must be constantly critiquing our actions. Listen, all of you in this room that call yourselves Christians, you are the visible representation of the invisible God. Let that soak in. What they think about us will be heavily determined on how we act. We are the visible representation of the invisible God. We are the visible uh, containers of the invisible Holy Spirit. That's what we are, and our actions matter, okay? Last time, or last part. Last time, that's some of you who aren't gonna come back to church. Last time. (laughs) How can these things be, asked Nicodemus, Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied, I assure you, we speak what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about things that happen on earth and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about things of heaven? No one has ascended into heaven except for the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. Man, that's going to end really cool. You're going to like this. So the last question that Nicodemus asks is essentially this. How does all this work? What what does all this mean? And the response Jesus gives him points to what all the Old Testaments were alluding to, and that's the cross. He basically said, how can all this happen? Jesus is like, wait a little bit longer and I'm gonna show you how it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen through the cross. Now, since Nicodemus was not only a student of the Old Testament, but a leader and teacher of the Old Testament, Jesus gets a little sassy as he does sometimes. And he says, man, you should know all this. Listen, if you go back and study Jewish history, especially with people who were rabbis, teachers, leaders in the Jewish council, they would have known, this isn't an exaggeration, Nicodemus would have known every single word of the Old Testament by heart. The Jews call it the Tanakh, 39 books of the Bible, right? You're talking this much. He would have known all that by memorization. It would have been locked away. That's how intelligent they were. So Jesus looks at him and goes, man, you shouldn't be surprised by all this. You knew that a Messiah was coming. You knew that things were gonna change. You shouldn't be so shocked. The problem with Nicodemus though, God, I'm gonna be careful with this. He was so wrapped up in religion that he forgot to look where the Holy Spirit was leading him. That was his problem. And in verse 11 through 13, Jesus says, we've spoken about this. He's talking about the prophets have talked about it. My disciples talked about it. I'm talking about it right now. And he's saying, but you can't see what's happened right in front of your face. He even alludes to, Jesus says, Nicodemus, you should be able to walk outside like Paul says in Romans 1.20. You should be able to feel the wind and see the, the, feel the heat of the sun, see the stars at night and know that there's more going on than just what you can touch and feel, that there is something greater than this. Paul alludes to the fact that nature itself should show us that there is a God. That's what he says in Romans 1.20. So the question wasn't, were there enough signs? Jesus is saying, are your eyes open? Are you looking for the truth? Are you looking for the answers? Are you looking for the right direction? And then Jesus refers to himself two times, I believe, in the part that I just read, as the son of man. Now, what does this mean? What this means is Jesus was called two titles, the son of God and the son of man. And this presents a conundrum that is not meant to be solved. 
until we get to heaven. It's one of several conundrums in the Bible, but it's a pretty big one. One of the biggest ones is the Holy Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one. We have one God manifested in three different persons. That's one that we can read it. We, under, you know, we can't understand it. We're just meant to accept it. Another one is the fact that Jesus is Son of Man, which means he is 100% human, 100% human. He bled, he got hurt, all these things. He's 100% human. He is also simultaneously 100% the sovereign creator of the universe. He is both of these things. And so why is this an important topic? It's important because Jesus was so unique. Not only is he the righteous, perfect creator God, because he made himself man, 100% man, he can empathize with the struggles of man. So whenever we feel attacked, whenever we feel hurt, whenever we feel violated or offended, he knows what that feels like. He's been there. Jesus, you don't know what it's like to get hurt like me. He hung on a cross for nine hours. He had people spit on him. He had people make fun of him. He had family members turn their back on him. He understands. He empathizes. He knows the heavenly, but he also knows the earthly as well. Now, here's the coolest part about this lesson today. Jesus kind of throws something a little crazy at Nicodemus, and Nicodemus would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. Jesus jumps in and he refers to Moses back in the book of Numbers in chapter 21. Now, I would not have made a good Jew coming out of Egypt into the promised land, and Numbers 21 proves this. What was happening is this. The people of God were being rebellious and they were complaining a lot. Rebellion and complaining rebellion and entitlement, okay? That was the problem of the Jews coming out of Egypt to the promised land. So God got a little fed up with this, listen, and he sent poisonous snakes into the camp and they started biting people, that's how snakes bite, biting people and they were getting infected with poison and the venom from the snakes. So because God is gracious, I know it doesn't sound like that at first glance, but because he's gracious, he tells Moses, make this kind of uh, image of a snake, right? Make this, this thing that you can hold up and hold it up on a hillside. And everyone who looks at this thing that you made, this image that you made out of wood, everyone who looks at it will be healed of the venom and the poison that's in them. They have to be obedient and they have to look up on the hill and they will be healed of what happened. Now, why in the heck did Jesus talk about this? Now, here's what's, all, here's what's amazing. Just as Moses was obedient to God, Jesus was going to place himself in a position. He was actually crucified on a hill by an image that was made. He was crucified on a hill so everyone could see him. And if they accepted him, Jesus Christ would remove the venom and the poison and the toxicity and the culture around him. Listen. In case you've been, you know, in a cave for the last couple of years. If you haven't noticed the venom in our culture, if you haven't noticed the toxic nature of our culture, the poison, the same thing that Moses did is the same thing that is happening right now in the world around us. The number one sin that defines the Old Testament, if you were to wrap up the Old Testament in one big sin word, it would be rebellion rebellion. And we are seeing that same rebellion and that same entitlement today. And because of that rebellion to God, and because of that entitlement mentality, there has been a poison that has infected the people of the world. 
And what Jesus is saying is, if we will just take our eyes off what we want, and if we will avert them to the hill where, where the cross is, and if we will look at that, that he will heal us. He will save us. He will take care of the venom and the poison. We talk about race relations and we talk about world politics and we talk about nuclear wars and all of these things are a result of the fact that humanity has taken their eyes off the only symbol that saves and that is the cross. That is why, that is why. If we look up, not only will we be saved now, we will have eternal salvation. We will have eternal life. Just like the people willing to look up they were healed. Everyone that looks towards the cross and sets their eyes on Jesus will also be healed. The poison, the venom, the hatred, the sin will be relieved and be taken away. So not only was this talking about eternal salvation, it's talking about that life can be different now. That if we focus on the cross now, if we looked at Jesus now, our marriages will look different. Our nuclear families will look different. Our economics, our political systems, our jobs, everything will look different because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And if you do that, everything else starts to stack up quite nicely. But we have averted our eyes from the only thing that can remove the poison from our culture. You know what culture keeps telling us? You know what the world keeps telling us? You're just flesh. The music we listen to, have as much sex, do as much of this, do all this, because you're just flesh, right? You're just flesh. It's a big lie that the world tells us. Right now, one of the world's agendas is to animalize humans and humanize animals. That's what we do. Humanize animals, animalize humans. That's what we do. You're just flesh. And when Jesus talked about flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit, he wanted the believer to know that they are not simply flesh. They're not merely flesh. Because when we are born again, we take something of eternity, the spirit of God, put it in us, and we are not merely flesh and bone. We transcend that. So to be born again is to choose to follow Christ, to be obedient to the word of God, and to invite his spirit in. I wanna, guys, if you're worried about your relationship with the Lord, ask yourself, are you following Christ? Have you chosen to follow Christ? Are you being obedient to the word, which means we have to read the word? Are you being obedient to the word? And are you inviting his Holy Spirit into your life to, to, to overflow and to fill you up? And when we have his spirit, eternal life now resides in us. And listen, when we have eternal life in us, when we are born again, it changes the way we think, it changes our attitudes, it changes our desires, it changes our actions. It changes what makes us content. It changes what drives us. It changes our motivation. It changes everything. When we were born again, we're not simply flesh. We're not simply focused on the temporary and things that will pass away. We're looking beyond that. We're looking to something greater. We're, lo we're looking at the one kingdom that will never fall apart. The one king that will never be corrupt. That's what we're looking forward to. Man, are you guys with me today? There is more than this. And when we were born again, we understand. Do you know the one thing that we can take from this world to the next? All the people that we've introduced to Christ. 
That's the only thing we can take. It's the only thing that transcends. It's the only possessions we have that move from this world to the next is the people that we can wrap our arms around, teach them the truth, pour into them and love them and serve them and take them on to the next existence, which is with Christ. Beyond that, everything else falls apart. Everything else comes to an end. Now, the thing is, is though we can't do this by ourselves. We can't. This whole born again thing is not something I can buy. It's not something I can earn. It's not something I can achieve with my intellect or my hard work. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. And it's not the achievement of man. It is a gift from God. It is not the achievement of man. But listen, for some of you in here who are born again, you understand what this means. The closest thing to a work that we can do to be saved is to accept the gift of eternal life. But once we have accepted that, guys, it is time to get to work. There is a world, I'm not saved by my works, but because I'm saved, we hold the antidote to the poison. We hold the antidote to the venom. We hold the antidote to the racism and the hatred. We hold that. We hold the solution for better marriages. We hold the solution for better school systems. We hold the solution for better governments. We hold that. And how foolish of us to be born again and to understand at least a little bit about eternity and to not take that out to the world around us and share it. Guys, we talked about this last week and I feel like there's a lot of you with me. I just feel like something has to change in the church. I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about the way we think about our faith. We've got to, we've got to let the Lord just fill us up. We've got to be vulnerable and transparent. We've got to dig in. We've got to research. We've got to study the word of God. We've got to know where we stand. And then we've got to go out and we've got to just love people. And by loving them, that means showing them the truth as well. We don't just feed them and clothe them and walk with them. We also tell them, gosh, can I tell you what changed me? Can I tell you what saved my marriage? Can I tell you what got me off of drugs? Can I tell you what's reconciled my relationship with my children? Can I tell you about these things? We're not just merely flesh that follows our emotions and our heart. We're bigger than that. We're spirit that breeds spirit. We're eternity that breeds eternity. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I, I, I meet with a lot of people. And as many people as I meet with, I, I, I have a hard time getting to all, all the people that I'd like to meet with. 
What I'm learning the more and more as I go on is this, this pastor thing, right? I believe in counseling. I believe in doctors. I believe in programs. I believe in 12 steps. I believe in all that stuff. Those things aren't bad. Those things are good. But if you want to get at the core of why the families in our country are falling apart, it's an absence of the cross. If you want to get to the core of why marriages in our society and our culture are not valued anymore and why they're falling apart, if you want to get to the core of it, it's an absence of the cross. If you want to get to the core of our hatred, if you want to get to the core of our racism, if you want to get to the core of our insecurities, if you want to get to the core of all of it, it's an absence of the cross. It's an absence of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what it is. I know God works through counselors. I know he works through doctors. I know he works through books. I know he works through programs. I know he works through pastors. I know, I know all that. But there is a poison that is running through even the church. And it's so simple, guys. We have got to set our eyes back on the cross. You are not merely flesh. Well, Corey, that's my attitude. That's my temper. Then you need to be born again. Well, it's just something I lust about. It's just a struggle I have. You need to be born again. Well, it's just an insecurity that I was born with. You need to be born again. People often ask, can I be born this way? Well, we can be born into a multiplicity of different sins and insecurities and shame and guilt. We can be born into all those things. There are children who are born into alcoholism because of the sins of their parents. It's not God's will that we remain the way we were born physically, that we are to be born again, that we are to be born of spirit, not just a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. There are some of you in this room who you have tried so many avenues, and the one thing that can relieve you of the toxicity, poison, and venom in your life is the cross. It is Jesus. It's going to be a process. We talked about that. But that process is beautiful. It's painful sometimes, it's uncomfortable, and sometimes it's not as quick as we would like, but it's beautiful. And if you want to start that process today, Jesus is here. And he can hear you if you're genuine and if you're open to him. So your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed. There's men and women on both sides of the stage. If you have prayers for anything, anything, I want to encourage you to come up here and find one of them and get prayed for. If you are in here and you are not a believer, you're not a believer, or maybe you're a believer, but your faith is wavering, you're questioning. All I ask of people who are atheists or agnostics or their faith is wavering, I just ask you this. Have enough courage while we're sitting here in a minute. And with your mouth, no one has to hear you, but loud enough to where you're actually speaking it. Say, God, if you're up there, I just need you to show me. And if you're genuine, Jesus said, if you're looking for the truth, you're going to find the truth. I believe God will send you someone I believe he'll, he'll give you some kind of sign. I believe he'll let you know somehow that he's there and that he's watching out for you. 
if you'll be genuine. If you're in here and you are a believer, there's communion all the way around us. That represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And with the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we now have the Holy Spirit available to us for everyone who wants it. And all you have to do is ask. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. Father, I, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but I feel so strongly there are people in here, guys, who have tried everything. And Lord, you know who they are. There are people in here who've tried every avenue and they cannot find their contentment. They cannot find their solution. Lord Jesus, I pray that today you start to avert their attention to you. Avert their eyes to you, God. Lord Jesus, bless anyone in this room who's a non-believer. Bless anyone in this room who's struggling with their faith, God. Bless everyone who comes up here to get prayer and bless everyone who takes communion today, God. Lord, let them seek repentance before they take communion so they don't take that to their own condemnation. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for being patient with me today.